let's read together then Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. I feel like I'm back at Sunday school reading these at the front of the, the hall. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And interestingly here, these so-called wise men, they quote from the prophet Micah, and they say, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Amen. Well, these are really well-known verses, aren't they? And uh, we're going to have a little think today about these, these wise men, these magi. And uh, I wonder if I was to ask you all on Christmas Eve, what are you most excited about? Well, I'm not back to work for two full weeks. I am very excited to be off work. And I guess those of you who are 16 and under, maybe you are really excited about Christmas presents. And maybe all of you are excited about my sermon finishing. <laughs> finishing, yes, that's, that's right. I know, I know. Well, Christmas is fantastic, isn't it? And uh, the, the other Saturday, uh, Daniel and, and Keith and myself, we, we were out with Peter and, and Bob, and we stopped at, at Wylam in our usual cafe stop. And we were talking about Christmas presents, and Bob said, I've asked Alison for a new, spare, uh, a new pair of Speedos. Uh, and we all did that, yes. <laughs> uh, and come again, Bob. And he said, that's right, a new Speedo for my bike. And we all sighed relief. <laughs> no. Well, presents are great, aren't they? And whatever you've asked Santa for, well, I hope you get some wonderful presents tomorrow. But these wise men, these magi that we read of in the Bible... Well, they gave presents, didn't they? They gave gifts to the baby Jesus, or the very young Jesus, the infant. And maybe that's why we have the tradition of giving gifts. I wonder if you were here last year or the year before, Andy was stood at the front and he said, what did anyone get for Christmas? And all the children were shy, so he picked on me and he said, Matt, what did you get for Christmas? And I said, I got shampoo. <laughs> yes, my mum really bought me some quite expensive shampoo. And hey. I know, <laughs> really happened. Well, let's think about these magi, these, these wise men. Who were they? Not much is known about them. They were wise men. That's the, the name, the magi, or as Joel was saying uh, last Sunday, was it magi? I'm from North Shields, so I say magi. And well, these were men who maybe were watching the stars. They were astronomers. They were intelligent men. And maybe they had some knowledge of the Bible and the scriptures, and they were super intelligent people. 
And the names, well, we don't know their names. Tradition says they were called Melchar, Gaspar, and is it Belsar? But we know nothing about that whatsoever. It's just conjecture. And where were they from? And, and the Bible says they were from the east. And if you go east, you get to Whitley Bay. I don't think they were from Whitley Bay. <laughs> I, I think these men were probably from Persia or Arabia. But the truth is, we do not know even where they were from, just east of Bethlehem. And how many were they? And you say, well, that's easy. There were three wise men. We don't know that there were three. We just take their three gifts and we say gold, frankincense, and myrrh, one each, three wise men. The Bible doesn't tell us there were three. So we're building up a picture of not very much here, aren't we? We don't know a lot about these wise men, the Magi. And how did they look? Well, we have a bit more actually about how they looked. And here is an artist's impression of how the wise men may have looked. <laughs> explains a lot at Regent Chapel. <laughs> we don't know what these men look like, do we? Thanks, Phil. You can put them out of the misery now. And, well, why were they traveling? Why did they come to Bethlehem? Well, we do know a bit about that. They came to worship. And, well, it tells us that. They say we've come to worship him. And, and the fact that these men are so anonymous and, and we don't know much about them, uh, and we don't know their identity or their circumstances or their background or their family life. I, I really like that about these wise men. And I think maybe a big part of the point is we don't know who they were and we don't know where they were from and we don't know much about them. They were, in a sense, any man and every man. They were just people who came to seek Jesus. They were anonymous. The likelihood for most of us here in life is that we will never rule nations and we'll never be known in in government and we'll never be famous around the world we are probably all of us for the most part pretty normal ordinary average people aren't we but we matter to God and I like that about these men they were just anonymous in one sense their names aren't even recorded but they're recorded in the Bible forever they were important they were loved by and known by God as am I as are you that's a great message to have at this time of year at Christmas and then we might ask not just why they came, but how they came. And this is really interesting. H how, did they, how did they know what this star signified? They were traveling following a star. Have you ever stopped to wonder, how did they know that a star moving across the sky signified the birth of Messiah? That's interesting, isn't it? Mary and Joseph, we read the angel appeared and give them a message. We don't read about that for these wise men I wonder if these men had been searching the scriptures and maybe some quite obscure Old Testament scriptures you, you might remember and you probably won't don't worry I won't be upset I preached on numbers 24 maybe six months ago Balaam and Balak and the talking donkey and you might remember that we have Balaam that fourth prophecy as he stands on the on, on the, the mountainside and he looks down over the camp of Israel he, he says I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. And then he says, a star will rise out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise from Israel. Hmm. A star will, maybe, I don't know, but maybe, I like to think they had that in their minds. They were looking for a star. These were men trained, perhaps, in the scriptures. Maybe they had read Daniel's prophecy. And the prophecy of Daniel talks with 
great accuracy about when Jesus, the Messiah, would come into Jerusalem. Maybe these people had been searching through the Bible and they knew these things and, and they were looking for Messiah. They were actively waiting. We don't know for sure, but I like to think that. Now let me tell you where we're going to go for the next maybe only 20 minutes. And I think, Phil, if you stick it up on the screen, we'll, we'll think for a minute some lessons from, from these wise men. We're going to see how they read the scriptures and believed them. Or at least I'm going to make an assumption that they read the scriptures and believed them. I think it might be a safe assumption. Maybe God revealed it to them in some other way. But they read and believed the scriptures, and then they sought Jesus. And we want to see how they went out of their way to find the Lord Jesus. And thirdly, we'll see how they valued him so very highly. And then we'll look at their gifts. We'll think of the three gifts that were given, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that should be up on the screen for you to see. Uh, and we'll just pull a few really simple thoughts about who is Jesus. How do these gifts tell us more about who he is and why he came? So, first thing with these wise men then. They read and believed the word of God. And, and, and notice this about them, right? So if they had been reading these prophecies and if they were waiting for Messiah, like many people were, they were waiting for the promised one to come. These men changed their behavior in light of what they saw and what they read. Their lives were different because they'd read the Bible. And so the question is for you and I, easy one to start with, not easy to answer. Do I read the Bible? It's hard, isn't it? Do you read the Bible? Yes, of course I do, I'm a Christian. Do we really spend intentional time with the scriptures open with the Lord Jesus getting to know him every day reading the word of God it's mega important it's the fundamental thing of being a Christian so very very important do we read the Bible 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 tells us that all of the scripture is God breathed and the Bible itself, it is profitable, it's useful for us, and it tells us for, for teaching and rebuking and correcting and for training in righteousness. See, the Bible can modify our behavior. It can show us how to live a righteous life. It can correct us when we're wrong. God is telling us, this is my truth. This is how we live, and, and the Bible is so precious to us because it is God's holy, inspired word. These men read and believe the Bible. Phil, we can just ditch that one off. Thank you so much. We can just keep that black for the time being. These men read the Bible. And they read actively, not passively, because their behavior changed, right? They, they really believed about this star that would appear. They really, truly believed. Uh, and their behavior shows it because they traveled to find the Lord Jesus. Maybe up to a thousand miles. And that would have been some, some months for these men, at least. You've probably all heard me banging on about this Freedom in Christ course that, that I've done with Andy recently. And you're probably all sick of me going on, oh, Freedom in Christ, Matt's always going on about Freedom in Christ. W one of the key things I took from that is this, that, that Matt Smith's behavior <laughs> reflects directly what Matt Smith believes. And it's the same for you as well. We, we say we believe the Bible, but do we live in the good of what the Bible says? Do, do, we, do we search in the scriptures to see how we ought to change and how we ought to live for God and what's right and what's wrong? And there's loads of things that we can say that we should modify our life to reflect the Bible. And I hope we all do that on a practical day-to-day -day basis. The practical outliving of being a Christian. 
Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. And his word is a command. It's a, it's a book for us to read and, and to obey. These men believed it 100%. They were so certain that God was speaking to them. They traveled all this way. I wonder about them whether people thought they were crazy. Can you imagine setting off maybe from Persia, wherever it was, we're off to follow this star to see Messiah, and you can almost imagine people like scratching their heads. Really? You're gonna travel a thousand miles following a star? Like, really? Is this what is this what Messiah looks like? Is this when he comes? Is this what it's gonna be like? And I almost can hear the ridicule of some as they were traveling to this this Jewish God to go and see him and hear more about him. These were men who were certain that the Bible was God's word and, and they trusted and they believed it. Second point about these men is they, they really went to seek for Jesus. They were seeking after him. So they believed in the word of God. Secondly, they sought Jesus. They wanted Jesus more than home comforts. They wanted him more than the norm, the status quo of their life. They wanted him so much that they traveled to find him. And so here's a question for me and for you. Do I want Jesus more than my creature comforts? And do you want him more than that? Do we value him and love him more than our free time and our hobbies and our salaries and our status and our employment and our friendship groups and our free time? Do we seek Jesus above these things or is he the often forgotten afterthought and we squeeze in five minutes quiet time to appease a conscience at the end of the day. I, I speak to myself because I've been there and you have been there. We've all done that, right? Do we really seek after Jesus? These men were determined that their lives were going to be focused on, on going to meet him and, and find him and to know Jesus. Do I love him enough that if the call was to come in my life or in your life, would we leave behind all the things that we hold dear and precious that are so fleeting and temporary anyway, would we be prepared to loosen our grip? I don't know, is the honest answer for me. I'd like to, I hope I would. Isn't it challenging to give up all the things that we hold precious and go, Jesus is worth more, infinitely more. They sought him, they left everything, they traveled so far, they were desperate to see Jesus. There are examples in the Bible of people who did the same. So it's not impossible. So Abraham, called by God, get out, Abraham. And he wandered in the dust of the desert all of his life, and he never even saw the fulfillment of the promise. And Moses, it was a choice as well. Moses chose to suffer the reproach of Christ rather than the millions and the millions and the billions of the wealth of Egypt. The life of comfort and of luxury and of status and of power. And, and his active choice was, I'm going to spurn that and I'm going to take on the reproach that is Jesus Christ's. Wow. Here is a man who sought Jesus with his whole life. And of course, Mary. What a wonderful character Mary is, isn't she? The mother of the Lord Jesus. We, we don't make enough, I think, sometimes of when that angel appeared to Mary. And in that... In that instant, Mary's whole life will never be the same again. In those days, to be pregnant outside of marriage was just the worst of the worst socially. Her, her life was finished. 
She would be a nobody from nowhere forever and she'd be hated and she'd be rejected and she'd be, she'd be scorned. Her society would reject her for this shame that they saw in her. And we know, of course, she had done nothing wrong. She was, she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. But Mary chose, like Abraham chose and like Moses chose, what did Mary say? My soul glorifies the Lord. She chose. She embraced it. She wanted Jesus more than anything else. These were people in the Bible that we hold up as heroes of faith, don't we? They sought Jesus more than, and whatever it might be for you, it'll be different for me. Do you want Jesus more than something else? And do I? This year, more than any year in my life, I think God has been asking me this. Do you value Jesus more than X? Will you seek him? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior, the Bible says you will find him if you seek with your whole heart. If you're not a Christian today, it would be good to be seeking like these wise men. To prayerfully say to God, even today in your seats, don't even have to close your eyes or tell anybody and say, Lord, open my eyes. Show me that this is real. Show me that it's true. It's the most wonderful thing you could ever do to seek after Jesus. And we will find him if we seek after him. He's real and living. He wants to be your savior. He wants to save you today. He's a wonderful savior. Seek him with your whole heart. So these men, they believed the Bible, they sought after Jesus, and thirdly, they recognized the worth of the Lord Jesus. Again, their actions speak to us loudly here, because when they find him, they give their gifts of gold and frankincense and of myrrh, and their actions prove that they believe that he is worth giving for. They knew he was of supreme importance. They give him gold and frankincense and myrrh. would I be prepared to give to Jesus? And, and how much do I estimate Jesus Christ? What do I value him against? What do you value him against? If he's really the Lord from heaven, how could we ever put any sort of value against him? There was a man who valued him at 30 pieces of silver, wasn't there? And that was sad. These men recognized in Jesus a baby of supreme significance, more important than anyone who had ever lived before. The Son of God, as Andy was saying, Emmanuel, God with us. And so, as they recognized his worth, they opened their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I said we'd think about the these three points about the wise men and then three points about the gifts. Let's do that for a few minutes together. The first thing he was given was gold. Nice. I don't think I have anything with any gold on. I think maybe, and I haven't checked it because I am sad, but I'm not that sad. I think maybe some of the hour markers on my watch might be made out of white gold because it doesn't corrode very easily. I think... Other than that, my, my wedding ring was 30 quid, and I don't wear any jewellery. I don't think I've got anything that's gold. Nothing at all. Not even a pen or anything. Never been into jewellery. But I do know that gold is valuable, and I'm sure you do as well. And uh, some of you here might be owners of some lovely gold jewellery, and nice if you have. Uh, but in the Bible, gold speaks to us of, of, of value, obviously. 
but it speaks to us too of, of divinity, that is of being divine, and that, that's of God, right? So not being human, but being divine, of being heavenly. Now, it speaks of being a royalty as well, and, and, and so this gift of, of gold given to Jesus reminds us that he's God, reminds us that he is royal. Where is he? He was born king of the Jews. He was born as the king. And this is reminding us that Jesus is supreme and he is enthroned in heaven. He is the king, not just of this world or not just of the Jews, but the Bible says he's the king of kings and he is the Lord over lords. He reigns supreme, not just on borders and countries or even continents, but our planet and our universe. Jesus is, even today, supreme. Praise be to the Lord Jesus for who he is. He is supreme and majestic above everybody and above everything. They gave him gold. The prophets foretell of him. He is the one with the right to reign. Of his rule and of his reign, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Jesus will reign forever. Praise be to his name. And in that day, everybody will realize Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow before Jesus. He is supreme. I love to think of it. He is the one who will execute perfect judgment for all of eternity. All dominion is his and it stretches out forever. What a great savior the Lord Jesus is. They brought him gold and then they brought him frankincense. Now I am a bit more familiar not with frankincense, but with what it is. So frankincense is a fragrance, kind of a fragrance, an ointment, a perfume. And it's one thing I do like to ask for for Christmas. I never ask for gold, but I do like fragrances. And uh, I, I think this year, I'm hoping, I've asked Santa for some Victor and Rolf, and I've asked for some Givenchy, and uh, I'm hoping I've been a good boy and I'm going to get my fragrances. Normally, it helps my mother-in-law out because she's always like, what do we get for Matt? Well, buy me fragrances, I like them. Frankincense was a fragrance, and uh, if gold was given and it speaks of Jesus being a king, frankincense would speak in the Bible about priestly things, about being a priest, about worship. And you might say, well, how would that link to being a priest, or how would that link to worship? Well, the, the priests always in the Bible, or very often in the Bible, we read about the incense, so there's frankincense, and there were other ones as well. We read about the frankincense that was burned, and the smell was there, and and the fragrance would ascend up to heaven, and God would be pleased with what he could smell, the fragrance of worship. And, uh, well, there was the altar of incense. Every morning there was the offering made. There was, the smell would have always been there. Uh, and to God, a sweet smell. Worship would be really sweet to God, is really sweet to God. And incense speaks to us in the Bible of, of a priest or a priesthood or of worship. And Jesus is the great example of that. Yes, he is our king. And we've been thinking, haven't we, this, as we took communion, of the fact that the Lord Jesus is our great high priest, touched with the feelings of our infirmity. A priest who intercedes on our behalf. A priest who, on his life here on earth, he spent time with God in prayer. Here's another challenge. Do I spend time with God in prayer? If Jesus did, my goodness, I need to. He was up early, up the mountains, on his own, secluded place, quiet place, no distractions. Sometimes I go all day and I just neglect him and then I get into bed and I wonder why I fall asleep before I've got to the second words of my, my prayer. Do we prioritize our priestly calling? 
New Testament Christians have a priestly calling to pray and worship God and praise him and, and pray for each other, to intercede for each other. When we go through difficulties or good times, we should be, as a family, praying for each other, lifting each other up before the throne of God because we love each other. That's a work that all Christians are called to do. Jesus is our great high priest. In the days of Isaiah, they were burning their frankincense. And God said to those people, in, 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 in fewer words than this, but effectively he was saying, on the outside, you look fine. You're bringing your worship. You're burning the incense. You're bringing sacrifices. And God said, your worship is detestable to me. See, these people were just going through the motion of prayer and of worship. And in their hearts, they were a million miles from God. Maybe there's some in the room today and in your heart, you are distant from the Lord Jesus. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear my voice and open up, let me in. Jesus is just there waiting for that lovely reunion. As Christians, we always have that opportunity when we mess up, when we drift, when we go far from the Lord. He's waiting with open arms to embrace us back to him. Keep short accounts with him. Know him more and get personal with Jesus today. So they gave him gold because he was a king. And they gave him frankincense because he was a priest. And finally they gave him myrrh. They gave him myrrh. And this was a strange one because... If gold is precious and if frankincense smelled lovely, they gave him myrrh, which was really a spice that was used for embalming. So when you were dead, your body would be rubbed in myrrh, embalmed with myrrh. Myrrh in the Bible, and actually more generally as well, it speaks about or it symbolizes bitterness and suffering or affliction. Now, this doesn't make much sense, does it? The Messiah, the promised one, the star that would rise from Jerusalem, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, great high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. But then why would they give myrrh to him? Why would they give a, an infant this gift that spoke so much about sorrow and sadness and about anguish? Well, this would be prophetic of the life of the Lord Jesus. He was going to go through great sorrow and great torment and great anguish. Though he is king and though he is priest, Isaiah says of Jesus, he would be a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. He would be known by people as a man of sorrows. He would know rejection from his own people. He would come to his own and they would not receive him. He would be an outcast, rejected even by his own brothers. His teaching would be scorned. He'd be betrayed with a kiss by his own familiar friend, the silver. He would have hatred directed to him repeatedly. His sorrow would be the source of amusement for other people. Jesus knew sorrow. 
he would be mistreated and misunderstood and, and he would be abused and despised and rejected. People would hide their face from Jesus. People would cross the road to be away from the scorn that was Jesus Christ from that awful place in those awful circumstances. They would hold him in the lowest of esteem. They would look at him and say, God is afflicting that man. He would be rejected, oppressed and afflicted, and his grave would be made with the wicked, and he'd be taken from prison and from judgment, and nobody would declare his generation. He would taste the bitterness of the sorrow of death. Jesus came to die. The myrrh tells us of a life that would be full of sorrow and of pain and of anguish because on the cross, my sin and your sin born in his own body on the cross. Daniel put it nicely when he started and said about the suffering of Jesus. We don't want to put a downer on Christmas, I think he said. He's dead right. But this is the core of it. The baby in the manger that grew to be the man that stretched out his arms and was nailed to the cross and he said, see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow. And the waves and the billows of sin's punishment, the guilt that is mine and that is yours, borne by Jesus, his body broken and bruised and bleeding and his blood poured out for my sins, for your sins. What a savior. These wise men knew Jesus was worth finding. He was worth seeking after. He was worth knowing. We want to say to everyone in the room today, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, my goodness, he is worth pursuing after. He is worth traveling for. He's worth following after. He's worth looking for, even in the obscurity of what you might think is a weird message. The foolishness of the preaching of the cross Jesus died for our sins and was buried and he rose again. This Christmas, the greatest gift you could ever receive is your sins forgiven and eternal life. And Jesus, who was King of kings and Lord of lords, he left the throne and the crown and for me, he bled and he died. For you. And the opportunity is yours this Christmas. The greatest gift there ever was that God would give for us his son. His everything, his precious one. I hope you have a lovely Christmas. I hope you get everything that you've asked for. I hope you have a lovely time with whoever you're going to be with. But more than all of that, I hope you know Jesus, who died for you and rose for you and lives for you.